Here we are, Psalm 31. Again, if you're not there, open it up uh, there in your Bibles. This psalm's a little longer than the ones we looked at the last few weeks, so I'm not going to read through the whole psalm initially, but we're going to set this up, and then we're going to take it a few verses at a time and work our way down through this psalm. Now, to trust, well, first of all, you notice the title there in the bulletin or up here. The title of the sermon is, No Matter What, Trust in the Lord. To trust, it means to depend on, it means to lean on, and that's what this psalm is all about. This psalm is all about, again, trusting in the Lord no matter what we are facing and no matter what we are feeling. And we'll see in the psalm as we go through it this morning, there's four places in verse 1, 6, 14, and 19 where David proclaims his trust in the Lord. And in a few of those cases, he says, but I will trust in the Lord. This is all that's going on, but I will trust in the Lord. And we see him doing this in the midst of a whispering campaign coming against him, in the midst of many who he was called friends plotting to destroy him, in the midst of fear being on every side, in the midst of David grieving over his own sin and iniquity that God had forgiven him of, but in the midst of still dealing with the practical consequences of those sins. And with all that's going on, listen, the enemy is jumping on him, trying to get him to quit, trying to get him to have a a defeated attitude and so forth. And yet in all of it, David pronounces, all this is going on, but I will trust in the Lord. And it's beautiful as David leans hard on the Lord, as David depends on the Lord in the midst of all of these things, we see as we head towards the end of the psalm, his prayer being converted to praise and giving glory to God, thanking God for his strength, thanking God for preserving him, thanking God for putting him in a wide place and giving him a strong footing. And then him calling out to all the saints of the Lord, which includes us this morning. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, then you have been sanctified and you're being sanctified and you are in right standing before the living God he calls out to all the saints of the Lord to love the Lord and to join him in praising God because of his faithfulness to us and there's just so much to glean from this psalm and so let's set it up a little bit more by reading the very first verse or the verse the the heading in the verse first verse here in psalm it says to the chief musician a psalm of David and we talked about how some psalms have those headings and others don't When those headings are there, absolutely, we want to consider those things. And we learn from this one that David is the one that wrote this psalm. As he wrote many of the psalms, he actually wrote the majority of the psalms. And many of those psalms that he wrote at the beginning, it says that David wrote the psalm. Or last week we saw it was written or it was sang at the dedication at the house or the palace of David. And so once again, we know that David wrote this. There's other psalms that we know David wrote because of the context of the psalm or the content of it that describe something that David went through and so forth. Now the question that comes up next with this psalm, we know David wrote it, but the question that comes up next is when did David write this psalm? And most Bible commentators and historians agree that David wrote this psalm during Absalom's rebellion that's recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 15 through 18. Now if you're not familiar with Absalom's rebellion, Uh, we want to recap this. And if you are familiar, then I want to just refresh your memory because it's uh, very vital to what we're going to look at this morning. And it just brings a lot more depth to what we're looking at this morning as we take God's word and we use God's word to comment on God's word. Now, we know that Absalom, David's son, rebellion, didn't just happen out of nowhere in chapter 15. Uh, 
but there were many things that led up to this rebellion. Really, it started in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And we read there that, it, paraphrasing it, it was the time of the spring when the kings were to go out to battle. And David had been called to, again, take the promised land for Israel. God, remember, had brought Israel in part to the promised land to contend with the sin and the wickedness of the Canaanites for their demon worship and the rebellion against God, offering their children up to sacrifice to demons and so forth. And so God had called David to go out and to absolutely take what God had given to the nation of Israel. But that spring came and it says that David didn't go out to battle. David wanted to take time off from serving the Lord and being about the business of God. Instead of abounding in the Lord, he said, hey, I'm good. I'm just going to take some time off. And we know in the midst of taking that time off that David one evening was there on the top of his roof. And he looked down and he saw a woman named Bathsheba bathing. And instead of seeing there and immediately turning his eyes and saying, listen, I'm not, you know, this is my wife. It's not my place to look upon her. Instead, he practiced sin. He really moved into the sin of lust and he practiced a form of pornography and that he looked upon her and he lusted for her. And then he took it a step further. He sent men down to inquire of her. And when they came back, or before that, when he asked to inquire, he even got a warning. And one of the men that he asked to go inquire said, listen, this, isn't this Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah? And by the way, Uriah was one of David's mighty men, one of his close friends. And yet David shunned that, uh, that, that warning, and he inquired, and then she willingly came up to David there on the rooftop, and they engaged in uh, an adulterous affair. She left, and... David thought, well, that's the end of that. And then not soon long after that, she realized that she was pregnant with child and it was David's child because Uriah had been out on the battlefield for quite some time. And instead of that point, David repenting and coming clean, he tried to cover up his sin. Have you ever been in that place? Where instead of repenting and coming clean, you try to cover it up? So he tries to cover it up by calling Uriah from the battlefield, thinking surely he'll go and lie with his wife, and then they'll think that this is the son of Uriah, even though he'll look just like me with, you know, the ruddy looks and so forth as David is described, but he's thinking, I can cover it up. Yet Uriah had more integrity than David, because Uriah refused to go lie with his wife. He said, how can I lie with her when my men are out on the battlefield. They were out on the battlefield doing what David was supposed to be doing. So when that didn't work, David tried to get him drunk, thinking, well, if he gets drunk, then surely he'll go lie with his wife. And yet he still didn't do that. So from there, David gave word to Joab. He actually sent a note to Joab that he sealed and put in the hand of Uriah to take Joab out on the battlefield saying, listen, put him in the front in the heat of the battle, then retreat from him. And that happened. Uriah lost his life. Now we read there that there was about a year period where David kept this sin covered. And there's some Psalms written where David talks about just drying up inside and his bones aching. And it seems that great physical sickness came upon him as well as great spiritual sickness came upon him. Yet God was faithful to send Nathan the prophet to rebuke David. And upon that rebuke, finally David repented and David humbled his heart. And David asked the Lord for forgiveness, and the Lord forgave David. And the scripture says, if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yet with this sin, there were many consequences that would come from it. One of the consequences that would come from David's sin 
is that his children picked up on his sin and they followed suit. The Bible talks about generational sin, sin that's passed down from one generation to another. There's a spiritual side of that and there's a practical side of that. If we raise our children in an adulterous home, if we have a form of godliness and yet we deny the power, listen, there's a chance that our children might follow suit in that. And God does not want us to pass those things on, but instead he wants us to pass on a legacy of serving the Lord and us growing in the Lord that all the more they would be like an arrow shot out that would abound in the Lord more than we would. And yet David is in a place that, again, the Lord had forgiven him, and yet his children had picked up on this sin. Now what comes next also is the result of the polygamy that David practiced that was never approved of by God. Yet these men thought they were taking a step of faith and marrying multiple wives because God had said through Israel the Messiah would come and in marrying multiple wives, they thought they were doing something to help God bring forth the Savior of the world. God didn't need any help. And God was gracious to them in that. But as a result, David had multiple wives and those multiple wives had multiple children and there was issues amongst those children. One of David's sons, Amnon, basically got obsessed with his half-sister, Tamar. And in that obsession, and I'll make a long story short, he basically ended up violating her. He ended up forcing himself upon her. Well, Tamar's full brother was Absalom. And Absalom heard of this, and Absalom was infuriated about this. Then word came to David, and David made a grievous error in that he he didn't do anything about it. And I have to think maybe that was in part because of David's guilt because of his own sins still. And listen, let's not fall into that place ourselves. This is a room of sinners here. Hopefully it's a room of sinners that have repented and asked God to wash us and forgive us of our sin. Amen? And yet there's still at times consequences for our sins. And there's going to be times where we may see our own children walking in the sins that we walked in. And we don't want to listen to that lie of the enemy to say, you can't say anything to them because you did that yourself, you hypocrite. No, we say, I'm washed by the blood of the lamb. And my heart is that from my error, my child will learn so they won't follow in my footsteps. So we go humbly before them. And it's okay to say, you know what, son or daughter, I was there where you are now. And what you are doing here is pleasurable for a season, but the end of it is going to be death. And David didn't deal with this in a godly or biblical manner. And as a result, Absalom was filled with rage and he began to plot revenge. And about a year later, he actually ended up killing his brother Amnon. And then he was banished for a few years. Then finally, he was brought back into the land of Israel. And he slowly began to take over the nation and win the hearts of the people through manipulation, through starting a whispering campaign against his father, who was the king, And through sitting in the gate of the city there, and as people would come in to bring their cases before the king, he would say, listen, if I were king, I would give you justice. I would side with you. And then the people that they were in court against, they would come and he'd say, if I were king, I would give you justice and I would side with you. He won them over with a flattering tongue. All this leads up to the point where where Absalom makes his move to take over the kingdom, and then David has to flee and is banished from his kingdom that God had given him to rule over for his glory. Notice here, 2 Samuel 15, 10 through 14, and it's after this that most believe that David wrote this psalm that we're going to go through here a couple verses at a time. 
It says there in 2 Samuel 15, 10, Then Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. And with Absalom went 200 men invited from Jerusalem, and they went along innocently and did not know anything. Verse 12, Then Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite, David's counselor from the city of Gilhal, while he offered sacrifice. Notice here, and the conspiracy grew strong, for the people of Absalom continually increased in number. Verse 13, now a messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. So David said to all his servants who were with them at Jerusalem, arise, let us flee, or we, will, or we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And with all that's been said, David flees the city. Notice here verse 1 and 2. David cries out, In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. Bow down your ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be my rock of refuge, a fortress, a defense to save me. In the midst of all that was going on, in the midst that in the midst of all this that really had its roots in David's rebellion himself, that he had asked the Lord forgiveness for and God had given to him, and yet again his children followed suit, and finally it led to this rebellion of a son whom he loved dearly, and all the people or the majority of the people following him, and David having to flee, the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, in you, O Lord, I put my trust. And in the midst of this, David had a choice of who he would put his trust in. Would he put his trust in the Lord or would he put his trust on something else? Would he lean on the Lord or something else? Would he depend on the Lord or something else? In Psalm 20, verse 7, David wrote, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. And David knew. David knew that he could trust in chariots, so to speak, or horses, so to speak. David was a seasoned warrior. He could have trusted in his own skill set or the mighty men that left with him. He could have, again, began to plot his own plans and so forth to take the kingdom back. But David knew, as the case was with horses and chariots, if you put your trust in them, that eventually is going to fail. That psalm there, that word there in Psalm 27, has its roots when Israel and when Israel left Egypt. And they trusted in the Lord, but the, the Egyptians trusted in their horses and their chariots. And those horses and chariots that they reigned the world with for many years were washed up there in the Red Sea. While Israel, who trusted the Lord with really very little resource-wise, were delivered through that Red Sea and God brought victory. David knew that if you trust in stuff and money and people, our own strength over the Lord, eventually those things will fail us. David also knew firsthand the fruit of trusting in the Lord. We know that David, when he was a little boy, maybe 11, 12, or 13, he's out there tending to the sheep in the field, the psalmist of Israel, and we know that a bear came along to try to devour some of those sheep to try to take his life, and he had trusted in the Lord, and the Lord gave this boy a victory over the bear. The same thing happened with the lion. And eventually a man named Goliath, the champion of the Philistines, came against the Israelites that God had called to, you know, had rid the land of. None of the Israelites wanted to go and fight him, and yet David took up the challenge to go fight against Goliath. And when he went out to fight against Goliath, what did he say? He said, I come to you in the name of the Lord. He didn't put his trust in 
Saul's armor or Saul's sword. He didn't even put his trust in the slingshot and the five stones that he got. He put his trust in the Lord, and the Lord had preserved him. The Lord had caused him to stand upright. He did this as well concerning King Saul when he tried to destroy him for 10 years in the wilderness, and God preserved him. And at every time, at every turn, when David put his trust in the Lord, the Lord had gone before him. So in the midst of this, what does David do? No doubt there's temptation to trust in other things, but instead he is determined. Instead he encourages his heart. Instead he ministers to his own heart by saying, in you, O Lord, I'm going to put my trust in you. All this is going on, but God, I'm going to lean on you. I'm going to depend upon you. And then he says, let me never be ashamed. And I'll tell you, if you trust in other things other than the Lord, the day is going to come when there is going to be a shame, but not if we trust in him. If you're a believer this morning, you have faith in Jesus Christ, but day in and day out, you're not trusting in the Lord. You're not depending on the Lord. You're not leaning on the Lord. You're not walking what God has called you to walk in, but instead maybe you're trusting in money, you're trusting in your business. You know what? You're trusting in all the things that people that don't know the Lord trust in. And you can find this out by what your mind's on and what you do with your time. You know what? What drives your life? Do you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness or other things? And if it's other things and the Lord is just second fiddle, that's evidence that you're not trusting in him day in and day out. And the day's going to come when you're going to stand before the Lord and he's going to say, what did you do with those talents that I gave you? And if we just buried them in the earth, the Lord talks about a shame coming upon that. I mean, we all want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And yet there's one servant that he says, you're a wicked and lazy servant. That's a shameful thing. I don't want to be in that place. I don't want you to be in that place. So let's trust in the Lord. Let's look to the Lord. Let's trust in the ways of the Lord. And then, listen, greater than that, if you've never asked him to be your Lord and Savior, there's going to be a day where there's going to be a great shame that comes upon those that shun him and reject him. And most people do that in a very prideful manner. You know, they come up with their own gospel, their own way, or they practice their sin, and they do that in a rebellious manner, thinking that, listen, I'll do this forever, and God's going to have to answer to me, yet the time's going to come when our sin is going to be exposed, and there's going to be a great shame. Imagine all your thoughts and all of your actions and all those things that we've done that we think are hidden being exposed before God and the judgment seat of God Almighty for really all to see. Think about Adam and Eve when they simply ate of that tree that God forbid them to eat from. They plucked that fruit and they ate that. And you would say, boy, what a small minor sin, though it had, again, major implications in what they were doing. And yet they just ate of that tree. And what did they do? In their shame, they went and they hid themselves. And they tried to cover themselves. And think about us being, again, exposed in all of our unrighteousness. Yet David said, let me not be ashamed. Why? Because his trust was in the Lord. And this morning, if your faith is anchored in Christ Jesus, you can know that you know that you're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, and there is no shame to be found in that whatsoever. He also says, deliver me in your righteousness. Deliver me in your righteousness. David knew he himself in himself, by himself, he didn't have righteousness. He didn't have right standing before God Almighty. It didn't matter what his bloodline was. It doesn't matter what his title was. He knew the right standing with God only came through the Lord's righteousness. And that righteousness was provided for us again at the cross of Calvary. We're not in right standing with God in our sin. We're in big trouble in our sin. But Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. He died on the cross 
He rose from the grave that if we put faith in him, we can know that we know that we have right standing in God Almighty and our ultimate deliverance is going to come through the righteousness of God Almighty. And if you're trying on your own to be right before God, you are going to utterly fail and you have failed. It only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Then David says, basically, hear me, deliver me speedily, keep me, defend me. Again, he's crying out to the Lord, deliver me and Lord, do it speedily. It's not that David is being anxious, and that's an easy trap to fall in in the midst of a trial to begin to get anxious. I gotta get out of this. I gotta get out of this place. Lord, get me out of this. We're not to be anxious, but instead to cast our cares on him, knowing he cares for us, to bring supplication and do it with all thanksgiving, that the peace of God would guard our hearts and so forth. But at the same time, listen, trials are difficult, and it'd be silly for us not to say, Lord, get me out of this, Lord, and I pray that it would be speedily because this suffering's not fun. Isn't it glorious to know that the day is coming in Christ Jesus, there'll be no more suffering. What a wonderful day that is going to be. And then he says, keep me. And then he says, defend me. Be a fortress of defense to save me. And hear this this morning. God can defend you better than you can defend yourself. I know God can defend me better than I can defend myself. Whether it is against, you know what, demonic forces or enemies of the cross or slanderous tongues or whatever it would be. Do you realize that right now, if you're in Christ Jesus, God Almighty is defending you? We read in the scriptures that the enemy of our soul brings accusation against us day in and day out. And yet we read that Jesus Christ makes intercession for us day in and day out. And it's not a matter of the enemy having to make something up against us, though he's really good at that. He can look at our lives and say, well, look at these these people, they're a mess. And try to bring that accusation against us before God Almighty. And yet Jesus stands making intercession for us. And he says, I died for them, I washed them, I'm their Lord and Savior. So if the Lord God Almighty can defend us against Satan himself, can he not defend us against whatever else would come our way? And so we're fools not to trust in him, to lean on him, to depend on you, depend on him. we We are trusting, if we put our trust in something else, we're trusting in things that will fail us, but God will never fail his people. Now notice next in three through five, and we're building towards some things here. He says, for you are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me, for you are my strength. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, God of truth. Now listen, David trusted in the Lord, and David proclaimed to all the Lord as his rock and his fortress. Yes, David had shortcomings. David had issues. But God's word says about David, and doesn't say this about anyone else, that he was a man after God's own heart. Because yes, there were times he fell short, but David always repented. And for the most part, David would be quick to repent. It showed that he loved the Lord. It shows that he was quick to acknowledge his error and ask the Lord for forgiveness. He was sensitive to the things of God, and he was not ashamed of the Lord. Again, when everyone shrunk back against the Philistines and Goliath, David went out with a boldness and everyone knew this little boy, this little teenager is going out, not in his own strength, but he's going out trusting in the Lord. The Lord's his rock. The Lord is his fortress. If you thought of David, you thought of the Lord. Just like when I say Ben and Jerry's, what did just come in your mind? 
Was it not ice cream? Let me ask you, when people mention your name, what do you think they think of? Do they think he's a Christian, he's a follower of the Lord? Or do they associate your name with something else? Well, listen, David, knowing that the Lord was his rock and his fortress, and knowing that everyone associated him with the Lord being his rock and his fortress, he says, therefore. He says, you're my rock and my fortress, therefore, for your name's sake, lead me and guide me. And what he is praying here is, Again, you're my rock, you're my fortress, and everyone knows it. So in the midst of all of this, lead me in a manner that brings glory to your name. And I love it because David could just be focused on himself. Get me out of this. Deliver me out of this. And he prayed that prayer, and that was okay. But he also realized this is opportunity for the name of the Lord to be exalted, the name of the Lord to be glorified. So lead me and guide me for your name's sake. He says the name of the Lord is more important than my name. It's more important that God is honored than I'm vindicated amongst men. You be honored. You be praised. And let's face it, you read through the scriptures. God is definitely most glorified through man's trials than man's comforts. Think about a guy like Gideon. He's sitting in a place of oppression, yet he's fairly peaceful, and yet God comes to him and he says, I want you to lead the armies of Israel into battle. And they start with 20,000, gets whittled to 10, then there's finally 300 men that go out to fight the Midianites. And it's a great trial, it's a great difficulty, yet God brought a great victory, and God was the one that got glorified in it. Think about Daniel, again, he's, he's in leadership, he's doing well, then all of a sudden some men that were against him put it into the heart of the king to make a decree for everyone to only pray to that king for 30 days. A leader with a God complex. Aren't you glad we don't got any of those today? And what did Daniel do? Daniel said, I'm going to trust in the Lord. So Daniel went and prayed as he normally prayed. And what did they do? They threw him in the lion's den. And yet as God shut the mouths of those lions and he delivered Daniel, there were many that called on the name of the Lord and the Lord was glorified in that. And so on and so forth. And in the midst of this, David is saying, everyone knows I'm a believer. Therefore, let your name be glorified. Your name is more important than mine. And then he says, pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid. They put a a net, they put a trap. But listen, those nets and traps that are set up against us by the enemy of our soul, they're no secret to the Lord. Isn't that good to know? Sometimes we think we have to figure everything out or I need to be one step uh, ahead of the enemy of my soul to know where not to step. No, we need to get our eyes upon Jesus Christ and know that God knows those traps and the Lord will go before us. There's no fooling the Lord. And then in verse five, again, it's on the lines of trust. He says, into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. This is also a fulfilled prophecy. We know Christ on the cross in Luke 23, 45, verse 46, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. This is a prophetic utterance that was given concerning Jesus Christ. Jesus committed his spirit to the Father when he defeated sin and death there at the cross of Calvary. And Dan, or David's in a place where saying, Lord, again, I want to lean on you. I want to trust in you. I want to take my spirit, and I want to put it into your hands. No better place for our spirit to be. Now, notice verse 6. He says, I have hated those who regard useless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your mercy, for you have considered my trouble. You have known my soul in adversities and have not shut me into the hand of the enemy you have set my feet in a wide place. Again, these that were coming against David were regarding useless idols. Absalom wasn't calling on the name of the Lord. 
those that were following Absalom weren't calling on the name of the Lord. If they were at all, it was not really calling on the name of the Lord. They were trusting in idols. And the idol that Absalom trusted in was the idol of his own belly. Remember, it says Absalom, you know, stood above others and he was handsome and form and appearance and he had his long hair and they'd cut it off every year and it weighed 20 pounds or something like that. And everyone was drawn to him. And that's the reason why he manipulated the people and got the people to follow him because he appealed to their flesh. He appealed to what they could see and what they could hear. And David was getting older and yet here his son comes up and David had made some mistakes and so forth. And here comes his son, which they thought was noble because how he had defended his sister and so forth and the flowing hair and they were all drawn and it says at one point that Absalom even made a statue unto himself. And David loved his son, and David wanted to see his son preserved and repent, but his son was trusting in useless idols, and those that were following were, were, were again trusting in useless idols. And he says, that's what doing, they're doing, but for me, what am I going to do? I'm going to trust in the Lord. And it doesn't matter what the people around you are trusting in. The question is, who are you going to trust in? If all the world trusts in something other than the Lord, can you say, but as for me, I'm going to trust in God. And we need to have that heart and that attitude today. It doesn't matter what they're doing. I'm going to trust in the Lord, and I'm going to make it my aim for all those in my life to trust in the Lord as well. He speaks here of rejoicing in God's mercy. The fact that the Lord considered David's trouble. The Lord considered his adversities. And doesn't it seem that in troubles and adversities, is when we get the most familiar with the mercies of God and we cry out for his mercies. And then he speaks about the Lord again, shutting down the hand of the enemy and setting his feet in a wide place. And this is a picture of God giving David a, a footing, ability to stand. Have you ever been in a narrow place, a cluttery place where it's hard to stand? We, kinda, we usually have a garage sale every once or two years at, at, at my house. Most of you guys know that me and my wife and four children, four growing girls and girls that outgrow clothes, it seems really quickly, whether it's because of fashion or because of them growing in height. And as a result, we have a certain shed that it just seems to get stacked up with stuff for the garage sale. More and more and more and more recently, it seems like there's been several bags of clothing as they're growing like weeds, and then people give them stuff, and like, what do you do? And it gives them, and there's like kind of this mountain here in the back of the shed along with other stuff and so forth. And we're getting near to that garage sale. If you come over, we'll give you a really good deal. If you need a bad enough, we'll put, close you with that stuff. But I tried to go in there yesterday, and it was an ankle breaker. I mean, I'm trying to navigate, and at one point I kind of flew over, and I kind of got a little frustrated, and... Someone got chastised, who will go nameless, and then I asked the Lord to forgive me, and so forth. But what David's talking about is the Lord delivering him from an ankle breaker to a wide place where it's like, I got footing, I can stand. And when you trust in the Lord, God will strengthen you to stand against whatever comes your way, while the enemy, again, wants to get a stronghold, and he wants to break your ankle. Verse 9, and notice here. Now we really starting into the heart of the matter. David says, have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. My eye waste away with grief, yes, my soul and my body, for my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. Notice what he says next. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. In the midst of all of this, David is being truthful about the situation. 
David knows this goes back to 2 Samuel chapter 11. It goes back to the time of the spring when the kings go out to battle and David did not go out to battle. Instead, he went to serve himself. And though God had forgiven him, and indeed, God, again, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. God had forgiven him, and yet all of this had its roots in David's sin, and he is grieving over it. He's grieving over his iniquity. And absolutely, listen, there should be times when we grieve over our sin and grieve over our iniquity. James talks about this lamenting and weeping and so forth over our sin. Now, let's remember with that, though, last week we talked about weeping may endure for the night, but when does joy come? It comes in the morning. And there is a time to weep, and in that weeping we lay it before the Lord, and there's a time for the morning to get up and to go forward. And I'll tell you this as well, if you're in a place where you're like, well, I'm forgiven, I'm washed, I'm not going to grieve over my sin, you're not walking worthy of the call of Christ. Because that sin that we're not grieving over is the very sin that put Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary. And it's problematic if we just go into this cheap grace mode where it's just like, hey, I'm washed, I'm forgiven, who cares? It put Christ on the cross. And the consequence of our sin oftentimes affects others around us. And David here is being truthful. David knows, listen, this is in part on me. He's grieving. He's broken. His strength is failing him because of his own iniquity. And he's looking at his iniquity and so forth. And again, there should be times we grieve over our sin. There's certain sin it's going to be hard to get away from the ramification of those sins. And in the midst of that, it's easy to start to think, this is it for me. This is my life. This is my legacy. There's no moving forward from here. Have you ever been there before? And I'll tell you, the enemy at that point, he loves to jump on. And he loves to jump on us and begin to jump up and down and say, this is where you're at. There's no more from you. You can no longer be a vessel of honor. You're a vessel of dishonor. God cannot use you anymore. This is it for you. Notice 11 through 13, how the enemy jumps on. David says, I'm a reproach among all my enemies, but especially among my neighbors. And I'm repulsive to my acquaintances. Those who see me outside flee from me. I am forgotten like a dead man out of mine. I am like a broken vessel, for I hear the slander of many. Fear is on every side. Why they take counsel against me, they scheme to take away my life. And again, as this went down, most of David's friends, his neighbors, and those who he had faithfully served and ruled over either looked to avoid him, to start a whispering campaign against him, or to chop him down. Side note with this, how quickly had they forgotten all that David had done for them? On the battlefield, in his leadership, so many things that he did were godly and good. David had been on the front line while the most of these people sat in the bleachers on their hands and did nothing. The peanut gallery had turned on David. But there's a lesson here. Listen, if you serve God, if you use your gifts, if you worship God for the approval of man, it's a vain pursuit. And if that's your aim, you're going to get very disappointed one day. And it'll be very easy for the enemy to shipwreck your walk with the Lord and the ministry that God has given to you and he has given to you to complete and to walk in. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 15, I will very gladly be spent and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less 
I am loved. And in Galatians 1.10 he says, For do I now persuade men or God or who seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And how quickly they forgot. There's, there's, there's really no king like David amongst the kings of Judah and Israel. A man after God's own heart. This, this God used David to bring Israel into their golden age. This was their high point. And how quickly they turned on him and how quickly they began to slander him because something better in their mind had come along. A better doctrine had come along that was more appealing to, again, their flesh. David was getting old. David was not as attractive as he once was. While Absalom's hair was abounding and growing, no doubt David's was probably thinning and so forth. And they jumped on the new wind of doctrine coming through and they said, let's ride this. The same thing happened in Corinth and in Galatia. (laughs) If you serve the Lord, hear this, serve the Lord for the Lord, not for people. Serve the Lord for the approval of God and to please the Lord, not to please people. Also, like David, listen, we come to Christ because we're sinners. We need the grace of God every day, amen? At times we err, and some days we fall way short, and the enemy loves to use that against us, especially against those that really love the Lord and want to walk in truth and have a sensitivity to the things of God, especially to the people who care. And what, were we, what are we going to do when the enemy comes along or enemies of the cross or people that are just hard-hearted and they begin to start the whispering campaign and slandering? And we're here grieving over our iniquity, trying to work through it before the Lord, and they begin to say, you're done, you're done in. You know what, there's nothing more for you. This is who you are. You're going to sit there until the end of your days. You're a vessel of dishonor. God wants nothing to do with you now. Ichabod, and you're labeled that. What are we going to do? Are we going to listen to those voices? Are we going to meditate on their words? Are we going to shrink back? Are we going to get bitter? Are we going to go back to our own sinful lives? Are we going to walk away and bury our gifts? Are we going to quit? Well, listen, that's what a lot of people do. And there's a lot of people who know the Lord, that God's given gifts, and they're not walking in truth and what God has called them to walk in because they were hurt. And these things started, and they listened to the lies of the enemy. It's called spiritual warfare. And now they just sit in that state of brokenness and grieving and so forth. What are we going to do, though? Notice verse 14. It's glorious. All this is going on. David's grieving over his own iniquity. The enemy's jumping on. He's got a choice to make. What am I going to do? And notice verse 14. All this is happening. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. All this is happening, but I'm going to get my eyes on the Lord, and I'm going to trust in God. And with this, a new day births in the life of David. That new day can be right now today for you. It can be right now today. By saying, listen, all this is going on and so forth, but I'm going to get my eyes on the Lord and I'm going to trust in God. I'm going to depend on God. I'm going to lean on God. I'm going to trust in the promises of God. Lord, I'm looking to you. Verse 15, my times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of the enemy and from those who persecute me. So in other words, the enemy's hand is coming against me, but I'm going to stand in the fact that I'm in your hand. 
Jesus said in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? Then you are in the hand of God Almighty and no one is greater than him and no one is able to snatch us out of his hand even when the hand of the enemy with all his might comes against us. He says in verse 16, make your face shine upon your servants, save me for your mercy's sake. In the last Psalm, David talked about the Lord hiding his face from him when David was in a place of arrogance. And now David in this place of humility, as he humbles his heart, confidently asks the Lord to shine his face upon him. And then notice what he says next. It goes back to this ashamed and shame issue. He says, do not let me be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon you. Let the wicked be ashamed. Let them be silent in the grave. Listen, in victory there's rejoicing and a lifted head. In defeat there is shame, especially when we are talking about boastful men who oppose God, who will go to the grave in unrighteousness because they refuse to repent. There's going to be a great shame on judgment day for people that shun the Lord that are not covered by the blood of Christ. It's going to be very much different than the day we are living in right now where there is very little shame concerning the practices and abominations of men that fly in the face of God and his word. These things that are growing and abounding that men are not ashamed of, that if you're going to stand up for truth out of love for the Lord and out of love for them, most likely a whispering campaign is going to start against you. You're going to get a label. You're going to get the enemy of your soul coming against you saying, well, you're not very loving because you're not approved of, because you're not going along with the game plan. I can't believe how far we have gotten away from truth. Listen, this took me five minutes to compile. Here are eight headlines from this past week. It took me five minutes. I I barely dug. This shows how men today are not ashamed at all of their gross sin and rebellion against God. I'll read them to you. Headline one, most bestiality is legal, declares Canadian Supreme Court. Headline two, cross in Pensacola Park must come down, violates constitution, federal judge rules. Headline three, an evangelical minister reassesses his Brooklyn ministry when his father, also a minister, comes out as a transgender woman. Headline four, Christian lesbian rock star Vicki Beeching given award by Archbishop of Canterbury. Canterbury. Headline three, pro-choice actress, Christianity, or quote, Christianity and abortion go together. Headline six, Church of England chief backs re-Christianings after sex changes. Headline seven, Christian families in India forced into Hindu ritual denied water. And headline eight, in Colombia, Three men marry each other because they have changed the definition of marriage, man and woman, and also they've made legal polygamy. Five minutes, maybe less than that to compile the list. I spent more time cutting and pasting than finding the research. 
Let me not be ashamed, O Lord, for, you, for I have called upon you. Let the wicked be ashamed and let them be silent in the grave. It's all the more that we should pray for these people. Have a heart for them. We were once there ourselves. This is not a matter of us and ourselves being greater than them, but having a heart for them. And also knowing, though, that the time's going to come when these things that this culture is not ashamed of are going to give an account to. Notice 18, and we'll wrap this up fairly quickly. He says, let lying lips be put to silence, which speak insolent things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. And we should pray for God's blessing on our enemies and enemies of the cross, especially because our time here is so short and these people are deceived. But hear this this morning, it's also okay to pray that liars and those that bear false witness against the truth of God's word would have their mouths shut. Steve, that's just an Old Testament concept. That's not a New Testament thing. Freedom of speech, Steve, that's in the Bible. Listen to what Paul said in Titus 1.10. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. And I'll tell you, that's multiplied and amplified umpteen degrees today. Doctrines of demons, mysticism, and their mouths need to be stopped. And we can't just sit on our hands and say, I don't care about these things. As long as I'm comfortable, I don't care. And that's the attitude of so many. And sadly, the, the attitude of so many, even in the church, that says, let's just all get along and sing kumbaya while souls are being deceived and led astray. Verse 19. How great, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who... Notice here, who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men, who aren't ashamed of the gospel, not ashamed of the truth. And he's so good to us already. And David says there's even more goodness laid up for those that fear God that don't fear men. Verse 20, he says, you shall hide them in the secret place of your presence from all plots of man. You shall keep them secretly in the pavilion from the strife of tongues. We need to know that. The secret place, it's in that prayer closet where we go before the Lord and it says our Father in secret hears us, yet we are going to be rewarded when we stand before Him. 21, blessed be the Lord for He has shown me His marvelous kindness in a strong city. And notice 22, look at the grace of God here. For I said in my haste, I am cut off from before your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplication when I cried out to you. Have you ever hastily said, I'm cut off. God's not going to see me through. This is it for me. David said, I said that in my haste. I'm cut off, yet God was still faithful to him. We have an awesome God, don't we? He's faithful when we are faithless. And then in 23, in the midst of all of this, we see David's heart going from prayer to praise. He says, oh, love the Lord, all you his saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person in the midst of this. Again, notice the exclamation part, the point there. The Lord's confidence and, 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 and you know what, the courage and the strength of God is welled up in his heart. So David declares, listen, if you know the Lord, if you're sanctified, then love the Lord because he loves us so much. And he preserves us. That's why we need to trust in him, because he'll preserve us. These other things won't. 24, be of good courage. 
For he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. And maybe this morning you're in a place where you're, you're waffling and the enemy's jumping on you. Maybe you're in a place of even again grieving over your sin. Trust in the Lord because he is the one that will strengthen you. He'll preserve you. He will see you through. He will reignite that hope in your heart that the enemy of your soul wants to steal and wants to take away. Again, no matter what, we need to trust in the Lord. Amen? Let's stand up and close in prayer. Lord, we praise you today. We give you glory, God. We give you honor. We just thank you for who you are. Thank you so much, God, that you are faithful even when we are faithless. I pray, Lord, we could all proclaim with confidence that you are my rock, you are my fortress. Perhaps there's some here that in the midst of trials and tribulations or your own shortcomings, you haven't been trusting in the Lord. I would hope that would change this morning. I hope that that has changed even in the midst of us being in the word of God. That we could be a people that no matter what's said, what's next said out of our heart or out of our mouth is, but I will trust in the Lord. Instill that in us, God. Renew our minds for the scriptures here today. Let not this word be quickly snatched away from our heart as we leave this place. But let us commit these things to memory and take the thoughts that oppose you captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ and the truth of the word. And if you're here today and you've never called upon the name of the Lord, today's the day of salvation. The Lord wants to wash you and forgive you and be your Lord and to be your Savior. And it is time to humble your heart and call upon the Lord. It is time to turn from your own way, doing as thou will, and ask Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life and saying, Lord, do as you will in my life. A humble and contrite heart, he will not refuse. Call on him today. We're going to close in worship of the Lord, and I want to invite you this morning, if you need prayer, or this morning... You're making a decision to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. That at the end of the song, just to come up and get prayed for. To get up and come forward, even as a profession, to say, listen, I don't care what people think of me. I want to put faith in Christ. And I want to come forward, even as an acknowledgement that I've trusted in the Lord and I've called on Him. And we want to pray with you. Just put a Bible in your hands. Encourage you in the Lord. Our aim is not to make disciples of Refuge Church, but to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Let's lift our voices to our God.
about the Sunday morning prayer groups, and so especially, you know, if, if uh, you are a prayer warrior, which we're all called to be, and you have a heart for prayer, I encourage you to uh, go over there, and it will be brief, and you'll be blessed. So again, God bless you. Have a wonderful day in the Lord Jesus Christ.